0: Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at foundation church we pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation well greetings this lord's day in the name of jesus christ our lord our savior and our king god is very very good to us amen hasn't he blessed us again with another day to gather together in his presence, amen? Some of us were gathering last night in the presence of some super sweaty, super smelly kids uh, <clears throat> doing jujitsu. I didn't know you could do jujitsu for Jesus, but I guess you can do jujitsu for Jesus. Um, but yeah, we had a good time in the Hatfields and the Brownfields, and we had Chris Bonavir was a cheering section, Benini was there, uh, you know, I was hoping, I was thinking maybe he was going to get out in the, in the octagon uh, soon, you know. But anyway, it was a good time. It was a good time. And spending time just cheering on the guys as some, some of the guys got <laughs> submission holed or choked out or, or, or whatever. Uh, but, you know, uh, <clears throat> it was a good time. But, you know, today, I was thinking as I've been uh, really, really looking forward to today since I read the psalm I was going to be teaching on, uh, Psalm 96, and uh, it's been causing me to want to do a lot of singing because it's a singing song, and I know all the psalms are for singing, but this is a singing song about singing, and so we'll get into that in a little bit. But as I was working and uh, finishing up and doing some things, I remember an old song that I used to sing uh, growing up. You, you guys know the words, but it says, He gave me a song, t'was a new song of praise. You guys know, it, right? By day and by night, its sweet notes I will raise. My heart's overflowing and I'm happy and free and I'll praise my Redeemer who has rescued me. Well, I mean, what in the world is better to sing about than that? If you remember Miriam, when the children of Israel came across uh, through the Red Sea on dry land, what was the first thing? She grabbed her timbrel, right? And she began to run, you know, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. She's singing. And so that was salvation from a physical army, salvation from physical slavery. But God has called us out of uh, spiritual slavery and sin and All of these things and given us salvation, amen? He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay and he puts a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. Psalm 95, which we taught on last week, says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. It'll be our call to worship today. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great. Everybody say, the Lord is great. For the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands form the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Everybody say, thanks be to God. Be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have answered the call to worship you. And Lord, we come delighted to be participate in these things, O oh God. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that you in your word you say that you delight in us and today we pray that you would do just that lord that you would forgive us of our sins lord that you would draw us nearer to yourself lord that you would be a part of this great celebration lord we're looking forward to some baptisms today uh, a part of a very long and beautiful story lord one that reminds us of our own story how you took us lord and you brought us out of one family and you put us into a new family. Lord, thank you for that today. May that be the joy that ignites our worship today. May we lift up our voices all day. May you draw us into becoming more like uh, you want us to be, Lord, and, and may you make us prepared for the time when we will be in your presence, praising you, singing you, and lifting up your name and doing it uh, in not in these these, these sinful bodies, Lord God, that will one day leave us, but Lord, we will do it in a new and glorified body, one that knows not the slavery of sin. In Christ's name, we pray. And all God's people said, "Amen." Praise Father, Son, and Holy- Remain standing for just a little bit longer here as I read for you my text from Psalm 96. I'm not going to read the whole Psalm as my text, but I am going to preach it all. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. Psalm 96, beginning in verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fear before him all the earth, say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we long to hear the message that your word was intended to convey. Lord, we know some of those messages are very direct and we will hear them and see them, but we ask for a special illumination of your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would speak to our hearts, Lord, that the things that come out of my mouth as your minister, Lord, would speak to the hearts of those that are here, Lord, and that it would do a marvelous work in them. And in me. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Songs for Heaven and the Heathen. That's what my sermon title today is Songs for Heaven and the Heathen. And if you think I was being clever in my title, and maybe it may or may not fit the the, the text, you will read, and as you read this psalm, you will come away and you will go. Could there be any other title for this psalm than Songs for Heaven and the Heathen? Because that's exactly what the psalm is talking about. When we uh, look around and we live in the world that we live in, there are songs about everything and everyone these days, right? Uh, our national anthem I, is a song that I was hearing this week again. Uh, It's still being sung before football games and played as our athletes receive gold medals at the Olympics. You know, a song like that captures the spirit of a people and it conjures national pride in those, uh, you know, within a nation. I was delighted to see that none of the athletes kneeled at the Super Bowl. Did anybody notice that as the national anthem went on there and there was no one kneeling? uh, None of the athletes were kneeling. But it reminded me that some songs certainly do call for kneeling. Amen? As we've been learning through the Psalms and God's law, our Maker is calling us not only to offer Him lip service, right? To be close to Him in our words, but He is Himself summoning us and summoning a song within us, right? He is the fountain that bubbles from within that calls out to God. Deep calling unto deep. And oftentimes that comes through a song. The song and the call comes out, Come worship the Lord for He is good and His mercy endures forever. As we love God with all that we are, spirit, soul, mind, and body, we sing songs to heaven to our Maker, knowing that He is here with us in a special way as we gather each Lord's day. Here he is in our midst and we lift up our voices and our hands to him, asking him to forgive us, to cleanse us, to change us and to lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But when we sing as a body of believers, we unify around this invisible fact as though we can see it through the eyes of our faith. As this is a wonderful thing, we who were blind can now see and we can sing We who were deaf now have ears to hear and also to hear heavenly songs. We who were dead now have arisen to walk in newness of life as a choir serenading around the throne of God. We sing songs to heaven. Isn't that an amazing thing? At the Tower of Babel, they built a tower because they thought they wanted to be able to reach heaven and grab God. But we don't have to build a tower today. Amen? When we lift up our voices a song, God, as God's word tells us, he is not far from us. And when we sing, God can hear us. <clears throat> and if that were all that God had for us, that would be glorious enough. But God offers us even more. Aren't we glad we can sing a song to heaven? Aren't you glad that heaven's not so far that when we sing, oh, the love of Jesus, that he can hear that? Isn't that great? But if that was all he did that would be glorious enough but it's not it's not enough that he had saved us from destruction and made us fit for heaven but he also gave us a glorious purpose here and now on the earth for he has not given us the words and the chorus for heaven alone but also for the heathen everybody say for the heathen today as we look into psalm 96 we will see what the angels for ages longed to understand, but they could not. Today we will learn how to sing songs for heaven and for the heathen. Powerful, life-giving songs that are made to change the world. That's what Psalm 96 is about. Isn't that exciting? As we go verse by verse through Psalm 96, we notice that there, as there are with so many of the Psalms, there is no inspired heading, no Author listed. But many theologians believe that Psalm 95, which we covered last week, and Psalm 96, which we're in this week, were intentionally paired together in the Psalter, and they may have been sung together to declare a singular message. The message, uh, do this, right? Sing, give, give thanks, bow down, rejoice, but don't do this, which we get in the second half of Psalm 95, right? Don't harden your heart. Don't become faithless. Don't murmur and complain about your circumstances and look back from the plow of your salvation to Egypt, longing for it in your heart, right? Uh, And so it's the don't do this, it's do this, don't do this, but Psalm 96 is coming right back to do this. So you see how it works? Psalm 95, do this, don't do this, and then all of Psalm 96, but really do this. It's kind of like, a, an instruction sandwich here, okay? They were paired together. Do this, don't do that would be followed up with a great crescendo of this new song of Psalm 96. It prophetically, as we will see, speaks of a glorious future for God's people and hints at the adoption of the heathen, the Gentiles into the family of God. You just heard about it in uh, Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's not just that, that this, was a, this is a, a book written to Gentiles, the Gentiles who were in Ephesus. When we read this, we think, oh, yeah, that's like me, right? You who were dead in your trespasses and sin. You who walked according to the course of this world. Who is he talking to? He's talking about worshipers of Diana. He's talking about people that would go to the temple of Artemis then the people that lived into the dark superstition in the city of these godless idolaters. Ephesians chapter 2 is written to them and he said, and you who were far off have now been made nigh. You who were separated from God, the wall of separation has come down and God is going to make of twain one new man. This was the new song that was coming that Israel knew nothing about, that the angels, the Bible said, looked into longingly trying to figure out what in the world is God doing? And that's what Psalm 96 is about. God showed himself great among the children of Israel, and even so they would not believe him. They hardened their hearts, they became faithless, but that's not the end of the story. But God will find faith nonetheless. Doesn't the Bible say that when God comes to the earth, he will find faith? Some call Psalm 96 the great missionary psalm for this reason. It is the psalm that calls out that says, it's not enough that God has saved me. And in fact, the fact that God has saved me makes me want others to be saved. And so God allows us not only to escape the judgment and the wrath that he is going to pour out upon the earth, but he lets us be the instrument of salvation ourselves. Jesus cried on the day of the feast. I talked about this last week and I'll be talking about it a lot throughout my ministry here. He said, if anybody thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, right? But he didn't just say, and he will get all that he needs. He says, no, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. God not only saves us, but he allows us to be the agents of salvation for the world. That is what God had planned from the beginning when he decided to save the world in verse 1 we hear oh sing unto the Lord a new song sing unto the Lord all the earth melodic praise to God from thankful hearts of adoration and joy the whole self-worship of God involving the intellect the emotion and the total energy called for by God in the first commandment can well be seen in singing singing which takes intentionality of verse creation of melody In unison of action as corporate singing does is a delight to God when we sing together as a church we cease to be individuals and we join the holy collective the covenant mind body and soul singing is a lovely picture of what the church is the body of praise to God in worship and in service are you understanding what I'm talking about when we sing When we sing a song, we stop saying our words. Like when you're in the room for a moment, right? You're just all talking and you're doing your thing. But when we all stop and when we begin to sing, what do we stop doing? We stop being individuals and we become what? We become a body. We become a collective. Song itself reminds us how that we can get carried away in a heavenly melody together. It's unity. We should be striving for unity the Bible tells us it's what we should be working for in our relationship, not just in our home or with our husband and our wife and, 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 and our children, but within the church. And I'm telling you, this is where the power of God will be unleashed in the world. It will be in the unity of the church. For God says how, this is how we know that we have passed from death unto life. It's how we know that God has formed us into his body. Why? Because we love each other. We're unified in Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Three times in two verses we see the phrase sing unto the Lord as a triune expression of completeness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and which is to come. The whole earth is filled with His glory. This business of a new song, you know, I have often wondered and thought, to myself, what does it mean to sing a new song? You know, does it mean that, that every week, Jonathan, we got to write a new chorus? You know, we have to put out a brand new one every week to somehow be pleasing to God. But in the sense of Psalm 96, the idea of what is new about this song is something that was so new for Israel, so different for them, so unbelievable. And I'm sure there is more than one meaning, but in this case, it seems to me the new song is referring to the new message for Israel about what God will do in the earth different from what had been the pattern since they had become a holy nation more than a thousand years before. Since God made his people, he gave them his law and his prophetic leaders. There had been a deep separation between God's people and everyone else on how they dressed and how they ate and how they dealt with sanitation, cleanliness, health care, how they organized their society. It enforced an antithesis. There was a that, them and there was us. There were God's chosen people and then there was the rest of the world. God sent them into a land and he said, I want you to cast all of them out. I don't want you to make a treaty with them. I want you to kill them. I want you to root them out. I want you to get rid of them. There was an us. Everybody say us. And there was a them. We know about the chosen people, God's elect, God's people, as uh, Stephen read for us from Isaiah chapter 42, right? He said, oh, mine elect. What does he mean by that? The ones that I have chosen. And so God had a chosen people, and this was exclusive to those that were a part of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the children of Israel. There was an us and a them that was very established that governed their lives. As they took possession of the Promised Land, they were to kill and cast out everyone that was not an Israelite. But this new song that we see here is that this song was not only going to be a song for heaven that they were getting ready to sing, they were going to sing a song for the heathen. So you have to understand this was weird. They did not allow Gentiles into the temple. They did not allow them to bring them in there. Oh, just come on in, check it out. No, it wasn't like that. You know, when we, you know, when we go to Myanmar, Um, They have these giant pagodas and this incredible temple and you know you can literally walk in it would be weird imagine being here And we're singing and imagine tourists just coming in off the side of the road and they're walking around in our church And as you're raising and singing your hand, they're looking at you and they're taking pictures of you Do you you know that's what they do over there? They have this giant temple and they're worshiping and they're bowing and they're washing their Buddha and tourists from uh, Australia are getting cameras and they're going oh check us out look tim is saying hallelujah oh that's so interesting and and they're taking pictures i mean could you imagine that being like that that is literally what goes on in these places but the gentiles were not allowed they were not allowed to just come and go and and be tourists and check it out no no they weren't allowed they weren't they were there was a deep separation between them they weren't to eat with them they weren't to, you know, we go to McDonald's. Imagine you go to, you know, now not McDonald's. I know that's probably a bigger sin than, than idolatry almost uh, here in this church. I didn't mean to say it. But we go to a restaurant, El Vaquero. And do you ask everybody to, hey, we just need to make sure we're eating here today. We want to make sure there are no non-Christians eating here in the building, right? Is that what we did last night? No. No, we did not. We're like, you know, we're just sitting down there. But the, but the children of Israel, they weren't even supposed to eat with. The Gentiles. So the idea that there's a song that they're singing, and we're singing glory to God, and right here in the middle of the psalm it says, and we're going to sing a song to the heathen. This is kind of a quite a departure from the other psalms. The other psalms are like, Lord, kill them, Lord, stomp them, Lord, crush them, Lord, defeat them, Lord, root them out. And in this one, God is saying, I want you to sing a winsome song to them. Tell them about my glory. Tell them about my wonders and tell them about my power. And and, and so this is the new song that is being talked about here in Psalm 96. When they heard the words of Psalm 96, they most likely missed this message, but we're not going to miss it at all. Many times you'll notice that that, uh, in the New Testament, they're quoting things from the Psalms that they were not quite getting, right? Right? Do you think when they read Psalm 22 and he said that my hands were pierced and that I was uh, wounded in the house and my friends, that they had any idea about crucifixion? That they had any idea about what they were going to do to the Lord? No, they did not. But did, the, but did God use the psalmist prophetically? Yes. And so when he begins to sing about sing to the heathen, when he begins to talk about the hill and the, 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 the river and the mountain and the trees rejoicing about all the earth. Everybody say all the earth. Prophetically, all the earth, guess what it meant? What it meant, Stephen, it meant was <laughs> all the earth, everybody, every kindred, every tribe, every people, every nation. This is the amazing and wonderful thing that is being sung about. We know that it was God's plan to save the whole world, every kindred, tribe, people, and nation. He used his relationship with the children of Israel to teach mankind this valuable lesson. And the lesson was this even though I'm kind, even though they have a law, even though I feed them with manna from heaven, even though I tell them exactly how to behave, they still will be heathenistic. They still will go after idols. They still will forget me. Even though I rain down food from heaven for them to eat, they will want something else to eat. You might go, well, that's not a very nice lesson. That's the lesson of the children of Israel. The lesson of the children of Israel is no matter how God is good to us and no matter how great we have it and no matter how great instructions we have we're still going to stray from God. Now that may sound depressing to you and it should be for just a moment but what was the point? The point was we need a savior. That unless God changes us, unless God makes us new, unless he gives us new hearts, unless he gives us ears to hear and eyes to see, we cannot see. If there had been a law given that could have given life, righteousness would have come how? By that law. But can the law of even the law of God, can it give life? No, the Bible says that the letter kills. You see, that's what the law did. The law killed. And the law crushed. As perfect as it was, as beautiful as it is, all the letter can do is kill. He used his relationship with the children of Israel to teach mankind this lesson, but his time was coming when God was going to fill the earth with his glory from sea to shining sea, and this is what I believe the new song of Psalm 96 was about. As we move to verse 2, it begins with the third sing unto the Lord, we'll see what this new song is about. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation. Everybody say, salvation. So now it defines it, sing unto the Lord. It has already said, sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. It's saying in our life every single day that we should look for opportunities to talk and to sing about God's salvation, a song of salvation. Bless his name. God's salvation is the grand subject of the new song. And we know that Acts 4.12 tells us neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This passage from the book of Acts refers to the name of Jesus who was the image of the invisible God. God's name has always been attached to his salvation. Like when a man takes a wife. She takes his name and becomes part of him. God brings salvation to us by making us his bride, by taking us out of the family of Adam, which was doomed in sin and bringing us into the family where Christ is the second Adam and where we are the second Eve and where we can come out of the world and be separate and how God can take in us and give us something new. Because when we come to Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's like these little children we talked about uh, that were um, adopted this week. What I love, I love, I, I love this fact that they take the birth certificate and they say when those children were born, they redo it, Jesse. They redo the birth certificate. They look at the birth certificate. Where were they? Were born on this day? And they were born in this place? And their mom was Amy Brownfield. And their mom and their dad was Jeff Brownfield. And you go, well, that's not even true. And you go, oh yeah, it's true now. Why? Because they've been adopted. And God takes things that, that don't seem possible, and he takes us and he changes us. He puts his name on us. They are brownfields. Brownfields are going to get baptized today. Brownfields are going to take communion today. And they are not the kids that are just kind of like the brownfields. No, they're brownfields. And that's what happens to us. The song would be for those who would one day bow their knees and confess with their mouths that his name is above every name. We see this in verse 3. Declare his glory among the heathen. Everybody say among the heathen. I mean, we like to declare it in the church. We like to talk to each other. Hey, Jonathan, you know what? God is good, right? How many of you declare this to people who don't know God? How many of you tell, hey, you know, God is, he's really good. You know, I think that sometimes we try to sell the world on how church is good or that our lifestyle is good or that this and that, but I don't know that many of us are, uh, are wise enough or maybe understand enough to just, we just need to tell them about how good God is to us. You know what? I don't know how God's going to be to you, but let me tell you how good he's been to me. You don't have to be a theologian to do that. Here we see literally... These things declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among the people. And so the question is, is what is it that we are to declare? Everybody say declare his glory. Who are we to declare it to? Just to heaven, just to each other or to the heathen? Everybody say the heathen. And what else? His wonders too. Has God been wonderful to you? I know much of your story. I know many of the things that God's done in your life and I know he has been wonderful. Here we see this literally is a song for heaven and the heathen by name. We sing not only for God's delight, but our music speaks an evangelistic message. When we sing and we speak of the glory of God and his goodness to us, his children, we send out the great invitation to the world to join us in the chorus, giving thanks for what he has done, acknowledging in all of our lives it's a legitimate mode of evangelism. You know, we... We want to get out. And I've seen this. I remember when I was young and I was in Bible school, they'd give us a, a Bible and they'd say, go out on the street and, and walk them through the Roman road and, and tell them they're sinners and tell them they need to repent and, and tell them to do this and then have them repeat the sinner's prayer. And there was this little thing they taught me at school. And I remember I'm going, what in the world is going on here? Like, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't raised in a church that did this. But there was something that felt funny about that. And, and we could get people on the street who didn't want to argue with us to repeat the prayer. And we were saving hundreds of people. Oh, it was fantastic. I don't think that was saving those people. But giving thanks for what he's done, acknowledging in all of our lives, as I said, is a legitimate mode of evangelism. Do you remember the blind boy who Jesus healed in John chapter nine? You know the story. He was blind from the time he was born and, and people came up and they said, why is he blind? Is he blind because his mom's sin? Is he, is he blind because of his dad's sin? And you know what Jesus said? No. He's blind for the glory of God. And Jesus spit on the ground and he formed clay in his hands and he put them on the boy's eyes. And now the parents are in trouble because this happened on the Sabbath and this is trouble. Somebody was working on the Sabbath. Someone was making clay on the Sabbath. Oh, have mercy. And now the Pharisees are upset about it, and the Pharisees are like, you know, this guy certainly couldn't be the Messiah because the Messiah would never work on the Sabbath day. We know this to be true. We've written books about it, and we know that God wouldn't do this. It's not actually in the Bible, but it's in my commentary on the Bible that I wrote. And so here he has made clay, and he's working, and he's sinning, and the Messiah could never sin, but we know it's a sin. Now, not because the Bible said it was, but because... Our commentary on the Bible said that it was. And so the boy's in trouble. The parents are in trouble. The parents are like, hey, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't with him. And you know, he's old enough to answer the question for himself. And so so I'm not, I don't know. You know, we weren't there. We're not a part of it. We don't want to be in trouble. You should go ask him. And so they come and they ask the boy. And the boy begins to give them the Cornelius Van Til apologetics. He begins to walk him through the Rush Dooney, you know, whatever. And I'm not against any of these people, but is that what he did? No. You know what he said? Hey, you know what? I don't know whether this man is even a sinner. I don't know if he's good. I don't know if he's bad. I don't know what his doctrine is. I don't know anything, but all I know. Everybody say, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Can you argue with that, Jonathan? Jonathan? You know, you might go, you know what? You might be a Baptist. You might be a Seventh-day Adventist. You might be a Presbyterian. All I know. Is that there was a time in my life when I did not want to serve God. There was a time in my life when I loved the things of this world, but something happened inside of me and something changed me and something made me want to raise my hands to God. Something made me want to open up the Word of God. Something made me want to live a different life. And it wasn't anything that I did, it was something that God did inside of me because if it were up to me, I would not seek after God. If it were up to me, I would not follow after Him. There's nothing good about me. It wasn't, I had a good mom and dad and I'm thankful for my mom and dad. They live over here on the street. But, but let me tell you what, my mom and dad couldn't do for me what God did for me. Do you know that's all that we, we don't need to be theologians or great apologists. We need to be witnesses of what God has done in our lives. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can explain all the theology. I don't know when exactly a man is justified and sanctified. I don't exactly understand who can and can't and won't. But all I know is that I once was blind. And now I see. The master did not offer a deep theological treaty to the Pharisees who questioned him about the soundness of Jesus' doctrines this boy just said whether he be a sinner or no i know not one thing i know whereas i was blind now i see it's kind of hard to argue with that no one who had known the boy all the years of his blindness could argue that he could now see (laughs) uh we're not sure he can see oh yeah i actually can see you're you're right there and you know when we tell others what God has done in our lives and in the lives of those we know we sing a song of his glory and his wonders you don't have to prove to anybody that he really parted the Red Sea you weren't there you don't have to prove to anybody that you know the burning bush burned but was not consumed that Moses stood by you weren't there you you believe it but you don't have to prove it to them. You don't have to find some bush that burns. And they, they have one. I don't know if you know this. Out the, there's a bush that burns in the, in the desert that isn't consumed. There's oils on it burns. It's kind of neat. But you know what? You don't have to be a scientist and find one of those to make that possible. Men don't change on their own. Nothing is more amazing than the transforming power of God. People don't just rise from the dead on their own. And people know this, just as the eyes of that young man opened on that day, so the eyes of those we speak of God's glory to and goodness, they will open before us too. We won't need to argue with them or convince them of what they too will know. Amen? His wonders among all the people, say all the people. These phrases in Psalm 96 mean, all the people mean, All the people, not just the Jews, not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just the 12 tribes of Israel, but all the people, all the people in the earth. You'll see this more as we go along in the psalm. Verse four, just talking about all of these things, Jonathan. It gets me really cranked up. God is going to save the world. Isn't that exciting? I love verse four. In fact, it makes me want to sing. And so I'm going to. This song was a song from my childhood, one I wish we could sing all the time here. And in fact, maybe after today, we will. You guys know this song, right? Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Oh, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Oh, sing unto the Lord, all the earth. For God is great and greatly to be praised. God is great and greatly to be praised. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Come on, guys. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. For God is great and greatly to be praised. God is great and greatly to be praised. Guys, I'm going to tell you, you don't read the Psalms and get the idea that they weren't doing what I was just doing. In fact, when you read the Psalms and when you preach the Psalms, you kind of get the idea they were doing things that maybe we would go, I don't know if maybe we should do that or not. It seems like they're happy. It seems like they're excited. It seems like when Miriam found out that they had come on the other side and she picked up her timbrel and she began to dance and the women followed her and they ran and they sang, it seems like they were excited about the fact that they had been saved from slavery. Could you imagine if your people were saved and delivered from 430 years of slavery, of difficulty, of oppression by a foreign nation and that God had brought you out and that he had taken their army and had drowned it in the Red Sea and that God was providing for you and that he sent his angel before you? Wouldn't that be something to sing about? Folks, you got more to sing about than that. because we're not the children of Israel who God has to go. You got to watch that angel. That angel, he he, he he might hurt you. Be careful with him. No, no, no. The Bible says that God comes to us. He brings his salvation to us. He answers our prayers. We don't need a priest to come into the Holy of Holies once a year. We don't need for uh, all of those uh, those elements of that worship of that time. We don't need for this to happen, that's all done. And the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, amen? Folks, we should be the happiest people in the world. The Jewish people were known for their joy, for their singing, for their excitement, but Christians aren't necessarily known for that. What is wrong with us? I think the fact that people would call what we are the frozen chosen, I think is an indictment against us. And I think that we need to be frozen no more. There's no reason to be. It doesn't honor God to act like we're not that excited about what he's done in our lives. Verse four, for the Lord is great. Everybody say he's great. And he is greatly to be praised. Is greatly to be praised means, and he should be praised in such a way as to not excite the emotions does that, even, does that even fit with love God with all of your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your strength? Does it even follow that the man who wrote half of the Psalms was such a wild man in his worship to God that it was humiliating to his own family? And that when someone made fun of him for doing it, that God smote her with barrenness? It seems like there's something that we've restrained in us that is not to be restrained. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And when we say this, we're not trying to say that there are other gods, for there are not. Gods are mentioned here with a small g in verse 5 to make this abundantly clear. Verse 5, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. There's quite a difference, right? He's God all by himself. There are not a host of gods. He is one among them or even he is the greatest among them. No, there are no gods at all. Say, there are no gods. There is only one God. All of those gods are false idols. They are supplanters. There is no power but the power of God. He is the one and only source of divine power. The other nations of the world at that time and even still today live lives of superstition and deception, offering food to wooden or metal gods who can't even eat offering prayers to statues of gods that have no real ears to hear them or arms to answer. And if you haven't been over to uh, some other country other than here, you might believe this doesn't go on, but it goes on. It goes on, idols on their mantle, idols in their little, uh, their little altars they build in their house, down at the pagoda, over at the shrine, over it's happening all over the world. They're praying to gods who cannot hear them. They are are, uh, trying to feed gods with food who could not eat food. And that's what they do. The gods of the nations are deaf and dumb, but the God of heaven made the heavens and the earth. He doesn't merely simply rule them. He is the creator. This is one of the themes echoed from Psalm 95 as it is paired here with Psalm 96. And as we move to verse 6, we still hear more echoes of Psalm 95. So I'm going to go ahead and read part of it. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. This is Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is, God is great, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the sea, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, and he made it. His hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. That's something to be excited about. Verse six says this, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. As we come to verse seven, a call goes forth beyond Israel who has seen countless mighty acts of salvation and provision to a world walking in the darkness of idolatry and ignorance. And this call in verse seven says this, give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. You know, we are inviting the world to join us in worshiping God. We're not inviting them to come to church. We're inviting them to come and worship God, a real God. You know these guys they grow their uh, their ministries among the Buddhists and, and among the Hindus and among all these you know come on out come to the temple come whatever and you and they know for they know that what they're praying for they're not going to have it but you know God hears you Hey now listen let me tell you if you want to pray to something we're going to pray to the God of heaven who hears us and who answers our prayer you know we have something to offer the world here a real God <laughs> Right When we speak to the world, the heathen, as they are often called in Scripture, we need to be reminded that they are in a prison of ignorance and deception. And the truth only found in God's word is the power to free them. They too can be led forth from Egypt in the slavery of their own sins into the marvelous land of promise found in his truth. This call to the lost peoples of the world, to the kindreds and the kingdoms of this world can and will become the kingdoms of Christ. When we're with them, we need to tell them, we need to explain them. Do you know that this... You know you, you know you might be watching the news and you may be seeing that Russia and you may see Ukraine you say America and you may think these are powerful but do you understand that these kingdoms will belong to Christ that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord that these nations who think they can solve global warming or they can solve the problems of hunger or whatever do you know that these people that they are fools And that God that made the world and everything that in it we can go and we can talk to him and we can ask him things and he will give them to us. Talk about an enticing thing to people. We have a God who's real. It will happen as we call them to join us to give their praise, their glory and their strength, their rightful, deserving king over all of the earth. This is the song of the heathen. These are the things we're supposed to tell them. Problem is, that some of us, even though we've received manna from heaven, we've received forgiveness, God's changed our life. We almost don't believe that God is even real ourselves. It is the Spirit, though Revelation twenty two seventeen. It is the Spirit and the Bride that says, "Come," and it is up to us to invite them in. Verse eight: Give glory to the Lord. This is the song that in heaven. Give glory to the Lord. Give glory due to His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. There's a song here inviting the heathen into the courts of the Lord, but they weren't even allowed to come. What in the world is going on? This is the new song that was for us to sing. We invite them to come and worship the one and only one worthy of it and to join us as we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17, the second half says, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. We're not coming to get them to buy something. We're here to give it away. We're not trying to get them to join something. We're wanting God to change them. In verse nine, continues the call for people everywhere to join the church in praise to God. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness fear before him all the earth say all the earth this was a new thing for israel the idea that they would be evangelists the idea that they would be speaking a message to the heathen was a new song oh worship the lord in the beauty of holiness fear before him all the earth The call comes forth from us, O oh, worship the Lord, because we have already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Does he not daily load us with the blessings as we sit at his continual feast? It is us, his people, the sheep of his pasture, that testify best of his goodness already present in our lives. We need not be a theologians or a magnificent apologists, but babes perfecting praise from our grateful hearts. Some people say, I don't know what to say to people. I don't know what. I don't know how to reach the lost. I don't know how. You don't need to reach them by trying to convince them. You just need to talk about how good God is. How hard is that? Has he been good to you? Give thanks to the Lord. Lift up his name. Talk about the wonderful things. That's what you should do when you're around these people. And you might find that God begins to change them to remind us again that this indeed is the true message of Psalm 96. Here's what it says in verse 10. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. Now, Joy, why is he saying that? He's saying, do this. Could you imagine sitting with someone, Tim, who doesn't know God and saying, did you know that Jesus is king of the earth? You might not know this, but Jesus is the king. I know Vladimir Putin thinks he is, or Joe Biden thinks he is, or maybe, you know, a few years ago, Donald Trump thought he was, or or whatever, these people all might think they are. But let me tell you, there's one king, and his name is Jesus. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigns. The world also shall be established, and it shall not be moved, and he shall judge the people righteously. Our testimony among the heathen, our song for them, is that Jesus is the king of the earth right now. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords right now. We as people pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. From Matthew chapter 6. The message we sing and preach to heaven and the heathen is that God is the king and nothing can or will change that. And he will judge the people righteously. This is a very important message in the world still filled with great injustice. Men's hearts cry for justice, and we know the only one who is just and who has promised to bring justice completely. Almost every day in every news article and every situation that's going on, the cry in people's heart is, this isn't right. Come on, you know it. There's something wrong about this. This isn't right. We see someone doing something. We see some getting away with it. We see this with it, and we have the opportunity there, Sister Ashley, to go, Jesus, the king of the earth, is a righteous judge and he is going to bring about justice. In the last three verses of Psalm 96, there is a comparison of the whole physical earth worshiping God, undivided sky, sea, trees, fields, and many of the, just as all the peoples of the earth will truly a song for heaven and the heathen a grand vision of unity of purpose and harmony that begins with mutual praise let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad let the sea roar in the fullness thereof you see the call is not for the inanimate object to worship God in as much as it is all of us and the picture of the clapping of the rivers of the of the waving of the trees is not a picture just that the trees are offering worship they cannot worship God like we can. They offer a wave, but they don't know God like we do. And we can wave our arms and our hands in the picture here that is being formed in this beautiful thing. I, I was reading about this from the treasury of David. If you've never uh, been blessed by Spurgeon's treasury of David, you should check it out. And I'm gonna bless you with it right now. Okay, you guys ready for this? Because what I'm gonna read to you is just from that. and. And I thought about writing my own little thing. And when I read this, I'm like, you know what? I think I just need to just cut and paste a little Spurgeon and bring it to you. All right? David right here from, or Spurgeon from this same verse, as he is going through verse 11 here in uh, Psalm 96, he says this, Above and below, let joy be manifested. Let the angels who have stood in amaze at the wickedness of men now rejoice over their repentance and restoration to favor, and let men themselves express their pleasure in seeing their true prince set upon his throne. The book of creation has two covers. And on each of these, let glory of the Lord be emblazoned in letters of joy. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let it be no more a troubled sea, a wailing over shipwrecked mariners and rehearsing of the griefs of widows and orphans. But let it adopt a cheerful note and rejoice in the kingdom of the Lord. Let it thunder out the name of the Lord with its tides are at its full and let its teeming life express the utmost joy because the Lord reigneth even in the depth of the sea. In common with the rest of creation, the sea has groaned and travailed until now, but it is not the time close at hand which shall hollow murmur shall be exchanged for an outburst of joy. Will not every billow soon flash forth the praises of him who once trod the sea wafted? Wait ye winds his story, and oh ye waters roll, till like a sea of glory it spreads from pole to pole. Come on, Spurgeon. Could you imagine being there in his church when he delivered that? Verse 12 says this, Let the field be joyful, and all therein, and let all the trees of the wood rejoice. Spurgeon, as he read these words, he inspired, he said this, he said, Let the cultivated plains Praise the Lord. Peace enables their owners to plow and sow and reap without fear of the rapine of invaders. And therefore in glad notes, they applaud with him whose empire is peace. Both men and creatures that graze the plain and the crops themselves are represented as the swelling of the praises of Jehovah. And the figure is both bold and warranted. For the day shall come when every inhabited root of the ground shall yield a song. And every farmstead shall contain a church. And then shall all the trees of the earth rejoice. He does not say let them rejoice, but he says they do rejoice. The faith of the psalmist turns itself from the expression of desire to the fully assured prediction of the event. Groves have in old times stood shuddering at the horrid practices which have been performed under their shade, but time shall come when they shall sing for the joy because the holy worship and the sounds for which they shall hear shall come from the people of God. The bush, the stronghold of savage men and robbers, but shall be sanctified to a retirement and devotion. Perhaps the psalmist was thinking of the birds. And so the poet must have supposed, as he versifies the passage, field exalts and meadow fair with each bud and blossom there in the lonely woodlands now, chants aloud each rustling bough. Thank the Lord for his Last but not least, we're reminded that men may not come to God but he will surely come to them there was a poem years ago said I did not have time to stop for death and so death stopped for me I don't know if you know that poem the part of the song for the heathen is not just a joyful song but it is a song of warning before the Lord for he cometh he cometh to judge the earth He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with truth. The song of heaven for the heathen is a mixed melody of joy and warning, of invitation and information. It is a battle hymn of reinforcement for some and the dread of those who will be trampled out to form a vintage from the grapes of God's wrath. Jude tells us the message of salvation comes in more than one melody. But you, beloved, building up your most holy faith and praying of the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And do others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. As we are reminded that the judge is coming, One of the songs that we sing to the heathen is we let them know, yes, he's king, and yes, he's lovely, and yes, he's been wonderful, but he's an awesome God, and he is a consuming fire. And the injustices that are in the world, if you are those who are the ones who are committing them, you have a day of reckoning coming before you. If you live ungodly and you deny his kingship and you walk how you want to walk and do what you want to, do. Let me tell you, there'll be a day you won't be able to do that. And your own uh, recalcitrant knee will bow and your own filthy tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The song to heaven and the heathen, and the heathen in this case specifically, sometimes is a song of sober warning about the judgment that comes. And so we sing of that too. Amen? Amen. This is what the song for the heathen is about. As we think about this psalm, I want to actually read it for you one more time all the way through, and then I will close. Psalm 96, from beginning to ending. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, and show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are but idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory due to his name, and bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigns, and also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful, and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord for he cometh for he cometh to judge the earth and he shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth let us pray Heavenly Father we love you and we thank you for this great song Psalm 96 that reminds us that there are songs for heaven and there are songs for the heathen Lord that you have given us the voice of praise but we have also given us the voice of evangelism Lord Lord, you say that faith comes in the hearts of men by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, may we know it, may we speak it, may we proclaim it, and may God's word be true in our lives. May we declare his wonders, his glory, your glory, your wonders, Lord, in their lives, Lord. And may we indeed, Lord, uh, lead them to you. May we be a part of the great changing and the saving of the world through our song. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said. thank you so much for joining us today I pray your time with us was very encouraging if it was consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us